Let's hear what God has to say. The reading today is from Genesis chapter 2 on page 3 of your Bible, starting at verse 18. Genesis 2, verse 18 to 25. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Good morning. It's great to see you and be sharing the Bible with you, God's Word, um, on this really great topic all about marriage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for family Uh, We thank you for marriage, and we thank you for the wedding supper of the Lamb. Thank you for your word, sometimes hard but always good, and we pray that you'd help us to believe and trust and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wanted to attempt the impossible uh, to cover marriage, singleness, headship, love, sex, divorce, and remarriage in three 20-minute talks. Um, I think I failed this morning already. It was a bit longer than 20 minutes, but not too much longer. Um, Jim called me brave. I said as long as that doesn't mean stupid. Uh, And that was after reading the talks already. He called me brave. So we'll see how we go. Um, But I do feel quite a burden in this area. I feel we don't talk about it enough. Or when we do talk about this, we skirt around difficult areas. And to some degree, that's okay sometimes because there are always difficult cases and their best helps privately, one-to-one. But we also mustn't become like society where if someone becomes upset by what you say, you must have said the wrong thing. We mustn't think that. Uh, Also, I want to say, particularly if you're single, this is mainly about marriage, although I do say quite a lot about singleness next week and also quite a bit in the third talk. It's not only about marriage, um, but if you aren't married and you're hearing a lot about marriage, um, please bear with us and encourage us who are married. Um, uh, because I think we need encouragement. I think with those who are married, there is a lot of pain and loneliness, believe it or not, in marriage and hurt. Uh, and I want to say marriage, my big point is marriage is good. Marriage, in fact, is a really wonderful gift from God. Uh, If you're planning on having a wedding, 
That's terrific. Let me encourage you. Make it the biggest celebration you can afford. Uh, I think it's one of the most special days in your life. And also by way of introduction, we ought to acknowledge that we're all broken sexually. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need to turn from the belief that we are inferior if we've sinned in this area of sexual ethics or superior if we think we haven't to the same degree sinned in this area. Churches have been guilty of grading sins and sexual sins as a worse sort of sin than others and excluding those who sin sexually. And the wonderful news is that Jesus came to save the lost. If you are broken, Jesus is especially for you. Uh, Jesus had perfect standards and he shocked his disciples by the standard he set, such that they said things like, who then can be saved? And who can accept such a hard teaching? Jesus said some hard things. But he also shocked the crowds by being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He welcomed prostitutes and children. And it's great to have the children with us. Uh, Jesus describes our Heavenly Father in words like this, and these words are from the story of the prodigal son. Uh, While he was still a long way off, that is the wayward prodigal son, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. And it's become a bit of a cliche, but I think it's a good one. Uh, It's true. God God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. As a society, there have been some massive shifts. Oh, by the way, there's, a, there's an outline in your notes. I noticed you're all looking at me. Well, that's good. <laughs> but there is an outline, and it's quite a good outline. It's um, quite accurate, I think, to what I'm saying, which is not always the case. So as a society, there's been some massive shifts away from classical Christian teaching, some massive shifts away from biblical morality, particularly in the West. And I was talking with Julia just before now, and she said she was, you know, come from Indonesia, if you know Julia, um, shocked at how, you know, she thought Australia was a Christian country, and um, she, she knows what's happening in, in the colleges at the university, and she was shocked, right? Now, this is, there has been, what I'm saying, a massive shift away from biblical morality. Uh, individualism dominates sexual ethics. Individualism says that whatever is right and true for you is right and true. If it feels good, do it. So God is as relevant as you want him to be. Your DNA, whether you've got XY chromosome, the societal norms, your childhood, what your parents believe are as relevant as you want them to be. It's you who decides. That is individualism. So if you feel like having sex and you are 15, then as long as you wear a condom and there's consent, it's up to you. That's regarded as safe sex, right? You know, out there in the world, it's not safe at all. Um, As well as individualism, there's been the sexual revolution in the 1960s, 
which separated sex from marriage, made it possible to separate sex from marriage, and sex from having children. Now, there's some positive things that have come as a result of the sexual revolution, but there's certainly some disturbing consequences too. Uh, so for these reasons, the sexual revolution um, and individualism, there's been massive changes in the way we uh, think about marriage, and it affects us, it affects all of you here. Um, and so it's the air we breathe, you know. So marriage is nice. I think people generally think that. Marriage is nice. Marriage is still positive. But it's not serious. It, it's not honoured. Marriage as a really important defining decision that demands our serious prayer and support has been undermined. I think we're generally confused. And someone might rightly ask, why should I get married? What difference does it make? What, what does it change? Now the good news is that God has spoken. And Genesis 1 and 2, which we've read a small snippet of this morning, Genesis, part of Genesis 2, is one of those places in the Bible that is very important to understand and very clearly sets out what God's plan is for us in the beginning. Great place to go to understand marriage. Um, now, how, how do I know that? Well, why Genesis 1, 1 and 2? Well, it's right up front in the Bible. It's before sin entered the world, pre-fall of humanity. Um, the, words, the word Adam means man. He's called human. That is how, this is how it's to be for humans. Adam is the head of the human race, Romans chapter 5. Also, as we read the rest of the Bible, the reasons given for why things are meant to be, they are often very... But often based back in Genesis 1 and 2. So Jesus quotes Genesis when he teaches about marriage. So Genesis 1 and 2 is a passage we need to look at carefully if we're to understand who we are, what we're meant to be doing, and marriage. Now, we don't have time to do all that, uh, but we're going to look a bit, bit of it. Um, what can we say about marriage from this? The first thing, an obvious thing to say about marriage... Well, it's not obvious, but it is from the Bible, is that it's good. Marriage is good. So Genesis 1, verse 31, God saw all that he had made, including marriage, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because he, on it he rested from the work of creating that he'd done. Six days of creation. Then when it was finished, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Not mediocre. Not near enough, good enough. Just okay. But very good. And marriage is part of the created order. Sometimes in marriage we can feel like it isn't good. Sometimes we can feel like God isn't good because our marriage isn't good. And what I want to say to you today, and what the Bible says, is don't believe, don't trust your experiences, don't trust your um, feelings. Hear my word. Know that I'm good and what I've given you is good. Don't be deceived, James says. Don't be deceived. Every good gift and every good and sorry, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. 
Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, this, this, this is God's, part of God's good created order. And in Genesis chapter 2, which we did read a bit of, we read there that something is not good, that is not good for the man to be alone, and at that point God hadn't made the woman. But when he does, we read those beautiful verses, verse 23 to 25, the man said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Uh, So a suitable helper is found for Adam, equal, but different enough to complement for the task God has given him. This is a relationship that is good. No need to cover anything up, nothing of which to be ashamed of, naked. Um, And you imagine the sheer delight in Adam's voice in verse 23. This is now bone, you know, all the other animals have come paraded past and nothing does the job. But God creates the woman and sheer delight. There is now, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. Uh, And marriage is... In fact, so good that God uses marriage to describe our relationship to him through the rest of the Bible, and particularly our relationship to Jesus, which we'll see a little later on. Um, In God's word, made clear by the Lord Jesus, there are basically two options, marriage or singleness. Anything else is not part of God's good created order. Now, singleness actually in some ways is preferred, and we'll look at this later on in the series, it's not more spiritual or some sort of higher state, but for some, for the sake of the kingdom, uh, Jesus notably, the Apostle Paul, will remain single. Um, Our identity is always in Christ, but marriage is good. Marriage is good. There's a a psychiatrist and a theologian from the UK that's written a great little book called God, Sex and Human Flourishing. And he shows that um, with the unravelling of marriage or the undermining of, of marriage through the, these, these last 50 years or so, um, the consequences have really been quite negative. There's not more sex, which is what the sexual revolution promised. There is less sex. Sex is also less enjoyable on the whole, that we've got rid of marriage. Uh, So paradoxically, the sexual revolution and the undermining of marriage that has come with it has been bad for couples. It's led to depression and low self-worth and general unhappiness. And I I think it's pretty obvious when you think about it. Without the exclusive commitment and um, promise to, to... care and love each other and be with each other, that's part and parcel of marriage. There's a loss of security uh, and therefore freedom within that security to flourish and be God, God created you to be. A loss of clarity around commitment and a loss of joy. Uh, in another book titled Bowling Alone, America's Declining Social Capital, Robert Putman argues that compared with 25 years ago, 
I think the book was written a little while ago. Americans now belong to fewer organisations, sign fewer petitions, meet with friends less frequently and socialise less often with their families. And there are many reasons for this, but he argues that a lot of it is because of the breakdown of marriage. There's greater inequality, there's more social injustice, more poverty, more kids with broken lives, and he argues that a lot of it comes from the breakdown of marriage. Now, the Anglican service, marriage service, is great as a great introduction. And it finishes, the introduction finishes like this. In marriage, a new family is established in accordance with God's purpose so that children may be born and nurtured in secure and loving care in the knowledge and discipline of the Lord for their well-being and for the good order of society to the glory of God. Genesis 1.31, God saw everything that he'd made and behold, it was very good. Now, as I said, this is not always our experience. That's okay. That's probably normal. You're not alone. Let's be realistic. There are moments, aren't there, when marriage is just fantastic, and then at other times you think, what has happened? You know, this is incredibly difficult. Grant was telling me last week, telling me last week how he recalled a minister describing marriage like two porcupines snuggling up to each other. Um, when you get close, you're bound to get spiked. And um, it's a great little image, what marriage is like. Now here we are talking about marriage, but what is it? What is marriage? How do you define it? Given the story and specific laws of the Bible, um, and I'm just sticking with Genesis today, but um, this is not just Genesis with this definition. Um, and, but challenge me afterwards if you want to or ask me about it, if you want to differ. But in, in many ways, I don't think this is, con- this is controversial in Christendom. This is what marriage is. Okay? So how do you define it? Uh, it's a, and this is in the outline. It's a relationship between a man and a woman. A man, a woman, not one man and two women or three women, polygamy. Not a man and a man or a woman and a woman. It's a lifelong union. So faithfulness is central to marriage, absolutely central. Commitment for better or worse, richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. It's a one flesh union. You leave your mother and father and become a new family. That's the idea of a new flesh, new blood. Um, it's, also, you know, it's also definitely a sexual union. It's an exclusive union. It's a one flesh union. Again, absolutely central. It's in the sight of God and for the purposes of oneness and children uh, and the service of God. So there you go. That's my definition. Um, you can come and chat with me and better it. And, um, but I think that's pretty clear. I'm going to touch on just a few of those things, but I want to say everything about that list is good. Every part and every part helps to make the whole work, and every part is good. I want to firstly focus with the fact that marriage is in the sight of God. And there's a word, I think, which sums this up. It's the word covenant. It's an old word, but a good word. Marriage is a covenant, which is meant it's a special bond entered into before God, whether the couple 
acknowledge that or not. This relationship is recognised by God as special. Uh, in fact, it's, yeah, it's a, special, a special significance. It's important to differentiate it from other views. It's not a sacrament. In Catholic thinking, a sacrament is something dispensed and therefore controlled by the church and something that gets you closer to God. Marriage doesn't get you closer to God. But also marriage is not a contract either, as in the secular view of contracts. Uh, This is the way many people think about marriage in the Western world. A contract can be changed. Contracts are conditional. Contracts are typically for a limited period of time and you can add clauses and um, conditions to contracts. Marriage is not like this. So because our parliament has amended the law to say that marriage can also be between a man and a woman, or a man and a man, or a, man, a woman and a woman, doesn't make it marriage. You know, in God's eyes, uh, although I acknowledge that is the law that we, um, of uh, Australia, or New South Wales, um, big uh, Australia, um, why, 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 doesn't that, why is that not true? Why does, why does that not change? Well, because it's a covenant. Marriage is a gift from God. It is God who defines what marriage is, not us. Uh, Proverbs, Malachi, Ezekiel, books in the Old Testament use the word covenant referring to marriage. Jesus in the Gospels doesn't use the word covenant, but the language used is covenant language. And so Jesus quotes Genesis 2 in Matthew 19. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. That's covenant language. So you can't just say something is marriage and it makes it marriage. The other implication of this is it's a big deal. Marriage is in the sight of God. It's a serious commitment that shouldn't be entered into lightly or unadvisedly. It involves a serious promise. It's a sin to break the marriage bond, except in extreme circumstances. And we'll look at some of those later on. Uh, And it's good, which I've already said. Another thing I wanted to touch on, and it's in that definition, is purpose. The, the why of marriage. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see there that marriage is for the purpose of oneness and children in the service of God. So in Genesis 2, we read those verses, Genesis 2, verse 22 to, to 25, the, um, and we read of that delight in the voice of Adam um, as, he, as um, he has his new wife, Eve, um, this is this is oneness. This is um, profound bonding that occurs uh, when a man and a woman come together in marriage. Um, and as I as I've said before, it's a sexual union. And Paul says in one Corinthians six in the New Testament about sex, sex and sexual immorality. Chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, verse 16, Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? And verse 18, flee, sex, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside, outside her body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So, so we're saying there is that sex binds you to your spouse, which is why sexual immorality is so harmful. 
Uh, and so marriage, sex in marriage, to be more specific, is God's way of binding you to your spouse. It's, and it's one of the purposes of marriage. Jesus says, let not man separate what God has joined together. And this goes to the heart of who God is. In God's very being, at the heart of who he is, God is a God of relationships. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. So it's not surprising at the heart of God's purpose of marriage is, is this relationship, bonding. One of the implications of this is st- sticking at it, being faithful in your relationship. A real regard to treasure and, and protect um, the integrity of that relationship. And so God is jealous for us if you are married, so you will be jealous for your spouse. It also means you're delighting in being married and sharing with each other, being open and honest and vulnerable and generous, special alone time time without the kids, not denying your obligation to sexual relations with your spouse, 1 Corinthians 7. All of this is so important and part of the purpose of marriage. However, this union is not an end in itself. The Bible does not say get married and go off and live happily ever after, you know, quarter acre block, picket fence, um, two kids, um, you know, constantly snuggling up to each other. It's not an end in itself, marriage. There's a much bigger context to this relationship and a job to be done. So Eve is a helper, a helper suitable for Adam. Uh, And Genesis 1 contains the call to rule the earth and fill the earth, and this this as the new combined force we call marriage. So together, man and woman are to multiply, fill the earth, and have dominion over the world under God. So stewardship, not a pillaging of the world, but a loving rule of the world for, for God's glory. And so children, children are part and parcel of the plan and purpose of marriage. For some this is not possible and it doesn't mean that they are less married or less of a family by any um, um, stretch. Um, it's actually for them off usually always a deep, deep sadness, a very great grief, um, because they feel that um, children is part of that relationship that they have. Um, so it, kind of, it supports the, this, the Bible's teaching here that marriage is for having children. Although there seems to be a bit of a move away from this. I know some Christians who are able to have children but for various reasons, um, lifestyle, the, the environment, Donald Trump, what, what's happening in the world, you know, the, whatever it is, don't want children. Uh, don't want to bring children into a world that's, um, that they see as having so many problems. And this view needs challenging. Children are a blessing. God wants godly offspring. And again, this goes to the heart of the, and the nature of God. God is a giver. He is the creator, the giver of life and of new life. And so the sexual revolution has made not having children possible in marriage, but the logic of the Bible is yes to children. 
and God is bigger than Donald Trump. So the purpose of marriage is oneness and the raising of children and very importantly for the service of God. There is a task that we are given, there is a job to do uh, and the real end point, the real climax and purpose is the service and glory of God. I find this incredibly liberating. It's very good. The purpose of marriage is not to be forever, as I said, cozying up to each other, hanging off each other's arms. It's serving the Lord, which is a wonderful privilege, great, exciting thing to be involved with. And so if you are married, it would be important to sit down together and think about this together. How are you together serving the Lord? And ask God to help you and pray about it together and, and encourage each other in their service of the Lord. Uh, if you're married to a non-Christian, God wants you to stay married and it does make this hard, but I think you, you're still to do this. Uh, it does mean if you're single and want to get married, it would be very wise to marry a Christian. Because fundamental to your marriage is to serve the Lord. Now next week I want to look at the how of marriage. This week's about the what and the why. Next week how in particular headship and love. Uh, it's very important to keep coming to get the whole package to see. Because I'm not saying everything about marriage here. Uh, so please, please come next week. I want to say one more thing in finishing about the purpose of marriage. I've said that marriage is good, but I need to say, although it's good, it is not the best. Marriage is a shadow of an even more glorious reality. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5, For this reason a man will leave his father, quoting from Genesis, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is, he says about that, this is a profound mystery but I'm talking about Christ and the church. He's not saying marriage is mysterious in some way, although that's true. It's not what he's saying. Um, Mystery in Ephesians means uh, something hidden but now revealed. And what he's saying is that right back in Genesis, God was always also talking about Jesus and the church, although we didn't know it. And the, the use of the word profound means wonderful. Uh, so when you see a married couple, the next wedding you attend, those look around at each other, your mum and dad, uh, even a, a not-so-good marriage, think, this reminds me of something. There is something spectacular down the line, you know, in the future, that this points to. Marriage is good, but there's even something better. So Revelation 21, verse 1 to to 3. Uh, Listen to this. This is uh, the marriage to come. Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. 
They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus and that you forgive us. Thank you for the gift of marriage and the gift of singleness. And we pray that you'd please help us to honour these through our lives, in our actions, in our words, in our encouragement. Help us to be faithful and committed and in loving service of each other and of you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.